Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 519. Welcome in. It's Friday. Happy Memorial... Uh, no, today's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. I actually... So I live in my truck, and I've been going to coffee shops like a ton every day. That's where I do all my work. I have like 180 gigabytes on my uh, cell phone plan to upload the podcast. I don't think it's wise to waste my really fast internet uh, on like menial tasks on the, on my computer. So I go work at coffee shops. And today, I sat next to a veteran. It was awesome. Uh, he served in Germany. Really, really cool. Um, I uh, I don't know. It was just cool to like. I, I encourage you. If you meet an old guy who served in the military, sit down next to them, ask them questions. They have lots of stories they want to tell, and they're usually very, very interesting. Now, let's jump in today and start with Thursday night football. On Thursday night football last night, the Carolina Panthers beat the Atlanta Falcons 25-15. to It was a really nice win by Carolina. They had a great game plan, especially on defense. Shout out. To the Panthers' defense on Thursday night, uh, they loaded the box with defenders and blitzed a ton. And basically, their goal was to take away Atlanta's running game and force the Atlanta Falcons to throw the football. Their philosophy was, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to do it by throwing the football. And, you know, Atlanta took a long time to adjust. It was very interesting to me because... Finally, like on their second to last drive, literally, it literally was their second to last drive in the entire game in the fourth quarter. They spread things out, you know, use four wide receiver formations and wide open sets. And on that one drive in particular, Marcus Mariota hit, you know, four big completions in a row. He looked really good. And they made scoring a touchdown look easy. And I'm sitting there kind of going like, why was this not something that Atlanta did all game long? Why did it take them so long? to finally spread things out. And I would love to see the Atlanta Falcons use some of the concepts that Marcus Mariota used uh, at Oregon. Adopt some of those schemes and concepts because Mariota was great in a spread system. And, you know, the last two first-round picks for Atlanta were receiving weapons. They drafted Kyle Pitts, an incredible receiving tight end, and then Drake London. Like, you use first two first-round picks in a row on receiving weapons, and then you barely throw the football. It's frustrating to watch. I don't really understand a lot of the philosophy behind Atlanta. I get, you know, maybe they just don't trust Marcus Mariota, but there was a glimpse on that one drive in the fourth quarter. We saw, oh, hey, Marcus Mariota, when you spread things out, he can throw the ball at a high level. But for most of the game, they did not spread things out. And it felt like Marcus Mariota got frustrated. Like, I want to be clear about something. This was not a good game for Marcus Mariota. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of the guy. I grew up in Oregon where he played college football. I lived in Hawaii. I have seen a lot of Marcus Mariota commercials in my lifetime. I love the guy. He's awesome as a person. Didn't have a great game here. But at the same time, Arthur Smith's coaching and Atlanta's offense is not doing much to help Marcus Mariota as a passer. Now, over and over again, Mariota made risky decisions and forced throws into coverage. You don't love to see that. Um, But I I felt for the guy because he was trying to make a play downfield. And I think in some ways he's kind of hamstrung 
by Atlanta's system, which is, oh man, is it frustrating as a, a sports fan and as a football fan to watch. Um, but he got a lot away with, Mariota got away with a lot of dangerous throws. And, and honestly, I'm surprised. He ended the game with only one interception. I don't know how that's possible. I thought for sure, I was like, he, he has to have thrown like, three interceptions in this game, right? But no, you know, Carolina dropped a bunch of picks. Um, Now, on top of everything, the Atlanta Falcons offensive line really struggled. They were totally overwhelmed by Carolina's blitzes. And I thought, again, I go back to this, Atlanta did a terrible job adjusting. When they were getting blitzed a ton, you got to start throwing stuff underneath and start calling movement routes to beat man blitzes, and they just didn't do that. Um, But also, I I really want to... I don't want to put all the blame on the coaching staff. I mean, Marcus Mariota did some really bad stuff in this game. I mean, there was one play where he was spinning and falling to the ground. He couldn't see downfield. Like, he's literally, his back is turned to the downfield. He's, he's spinning and falling to the ground. He has no idea where he's throwing the football. And he just, like, launches the ball up for grabs in the middle of the field. He might, have, might as well have closed his eyes and just thrown a, the ball straight up. And it got picked off. Luckily, for his sake... Mariota was ruled down before he threw the ball, so the interception didn't count. But it's like, my goodness, dude, this is not good to watch at all. And I think a lot of it's coaching. It's an inability to adjust. It's I think Arthur Smith is kind of stuck in his ways and refuses to adapt his system, and he wants to run the ball a ton. And I think you got to throw the ball. I, I, You know, you spent two first-round picks in a row on receiving weapons. Mariota looked great in that second-to-last drive. I think you got to start spreading it out. And Atlanta refuses to do that. Now, for Carolina, their quarterback, P.J. Walker, had what I would call an okay day. He was 10 for 16 passing for 108 yards. And, man, I don't know. He threw a long screen pass to LaVisca Chenault. Should have been a 41-yard touchdown pass. Actually, it did go for a touchdown, but it was backwards, so it— counted as a run, which I like, should a quarterback really get credit for a screen pass where they do very little anyway? I'm not really sure. But I thought like, oh, I thought for sure he would have had a touchdown pass that didn't count because it was technically a screen and a throw backwards for, you know, counted as a run. Um, but I have a couple thoughts here on P.J. Walker. Number one is this. P.J. Walker looked better than both Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. I watched a lot of film yesterday morning of Baker Mayfield P.J.'s got a better arm. P.J. throws the ball better with more ease. Uh, I think he throws it downfield better. On top of that, P.J. Walker is more mobile and can actually run around and extend plays. I watched Baker try to do that this year. He couldn't. He, he's trying to get outside the pocket. He just He's not physically gifted enough to extend plays, despite what Baker thinks. He's like a, I don't know, if he was like, if you gave him a speed rating on Madden, it'd be like 56 or 60, and he thinks he's like a 75 or 80, and Baker just isn't able to actually extend plays the way he thinks he can in his head. Now, in my opinion, P.J. Walker should be the quarterback in Carolina until they find a better option. The better option is not Baker or Sam Darnold. Most likely you have to draft somebody, although I don't want to say until you draft a quarterback because maybe they trade for, like, Aaron Rodgers or something crazy. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the NFL. Maybe Carolina finds another solution to their quarterback problem. I would like to see them draft somebody. I think Bryce Young out of Alabama is the tantalizing option out there. But point number two is this. I don't, despite all the praise I just gave P.J. Walker, and I'll explain in a minute why I think he's better than Baker or Sam. I thought P.J. Walker threw at least two passes that should have been picked off. 
I, actually, there might have been three because there was one early in the end zone where he forced on a deep corner route. He had his tight end open, and instead he forced it to DJ more deep in the end zone. So maybe there were three. Um, but the biggest reason, so like, again, P.J. Walker, not incredible in this game. Fine, decent. If Atlanta could catch the football at all, they should have had two or three interceptions. But the biggest thing P.J. Walker does and the biggest thing he has over the other quarterbacks in Carolina, P.J. Walker just has better chemistry with their receiving core. His timing is better. They're like more in sync than Baker and the receivers ever did. Baker Mayfield, man, he kept trying to throw back shoulder fades and kept trying to do stuff and just he never looked in sync with the receivers all year long. P.J. Walker, despite his lack of a big name and not being a first-round pick and all that, you know, he actually does some decent stuff. I guess technically P.J. Walker, was he an undrafted free agent? He played at Temple. I don't know what happened to him. I know he ended up in the XFL, and after the XFL basically being their XFL MVP, he went to Carolina where he you know, he played under Matt Rule in college, so he did it again now in the NFL. And I, I like P.J. Walker. He's not a long-term solution. I would call P.J. Walker like a duct tape solution where you know, sometimes you don't want to replace the part. You just put duct tape over it for a while until you can – find a way to replace it. P.J. Walker's not your forever quarterback, but he's good enough for now until a better option appears in Carolina. I also think a a great benefit to P.J. Walker, you can pay him like nothing. And you keep him on the roster. He's clearly great for the locker room. People like him. I think they like him more than Baker. And if you draft a quarterback in the first round next year and that guy isn't ready week one, you can play P.J. Walker next year for like six games, and it's fine. And then when the, let's say Bryce Young takes his job week six, you put P.J. Walker on, uh, you know, the bench and make him the backup quarterback where he's been before and still is viable. You pull him off the bench if the guy ever gets hurt. I mean, I really think P.J. Walker is a guy that should play for the next five years in Carolina. They would be dumb to let him go. He's not your forever quarterback. He's not your franchise quarterback, but he can play at a decent enough level to stick around and be helpful for the team. Um, now the craziest thing I learned in this game, actually totally unrelated to football. I had no idea. I learned who Arthur Smith's dad is. Arthur Smith's dad is Frederick Smith, the founder of FedEx. Like what? His dad's a billionaire. Well, okay. That's kind of weird. The dude apparently has like 10 kids. Look on his Wikipedia page. It's wild. Read about, um, the, the skeletons in his closet, Frederick Smith. Oh man. Read about his car crashes. Shouldn't say that. It's bad. Um, I'm surprised he doesn't own an NFL team. I don't, maybe FedEx, he maybe he's not that kind of billionaire. I have no idea. But uh, either way, it's a big win for Carolina here. Uh, losing puts Atlanta down to four and six. So technically, Atlanta is now second in their division, the NFC South. That opens the door for Tampa and Tom Brady because Tampa's four and five. They play Seattle and Germany this weekend. A win would put Tampa alone at first place in the division. So keep your eye on that. I, I, It wasn't an exciting game. It wasn't super crazy. There wasn't a lot going on. But what we walk away with is I, I think Atlanta could use some better coaching. Atlanta adjusted really slowly. They didn't handle blitz well at all. The offensive line was bad. Marcus Mariota, I think as a result of the scheme and a result of the pressure getting put on him, started taking more and more chances downfield and making some really risky throws that he was lucky weren't picked off. Then on top of that, um, I, I think I would like to see Atlanta spread things out a little more. Why did you draft Kyle Pitts and Drake London if you're not going to spread things out and throw the football more often? It's baffling to me. You clearly wanted receiving weapons, but you don't want to use them. 
or you just, you don't trust Marcus Mariota, Mariota at all, I would go back to the college days, pull up some, or, some Oregon film, run some of the stuff that Mariota ran at Oregon. I, I don't know why you don't do that, actually. Isn't that what good coaching is, is you mold your offense to your players and what they do well? Arthur Smith has is, is woefully unimpressed me as a head coach. He didn't impress me in Tennessee as an offensive coordinator. I was shocked when he got hired by Atlanta. He's not been great in Atlanta. He's fine, but he's kind of stubborn and has this idea of what he wants, and I, I don't think he's willing to adjust, and that's a problem as a head coach. Now, uh, Carolina, P.J. Walker is fine. He's not great. He's not your long-term quarterback. I think I would keep him for five years as a starter and then a backup eventually when you find a better option. But P.J. Walker, from where I'm sitting today, he's better than Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and should be the quarterback the rest of the year in Carolina at minimum. And, uh, you know, if you lose a bunch of games, great. You get a better draft pick. I don't know the benefit of playing Baker or Sam at this point. And I want to say one more thing. I got so much hate from people when I suggested that Baker Mayfield should not have gone to Carolina. People were... When Baker got traded to Carolina, people were celebrating, oh, this is so great for Baker. He finally gets to go back on the field. And I said, hold on, hold on. Is this really a good situation for Baker Mayfield to showcase his talent? I, I, I don't think it was. Baker, I watched the first five games he played literally yesterday. And I was like, oh, man, I, he's not getting a lot of help. The coaching wasn't great. The coach got fired. Um, Baker made a lot of mistakes. Baker wasn't very good, but Baker would have been better off on a team with more talent. And unfortunately, Baker doesn't have the people skills to, I I think, handle getting benched graciously and recognize a good opportunity. I still, you know, 10 weeks into the year, I still believe Baker would have been better off in Cleveland with a, a system he already knows Players he already knows. You got benched. You lost your job, dude. But what you're trying to do this year in 2022, Baker's job was to audition and show the rest of the NFL, hey, I can still play. I know my days are numbered in Cleveland, but what I'm focused on is 2023. This year was a a year that Baker had to show the NFL, hey, I'm really good so I can get picked up somewhere else for 2023. Didn't do that this year. Baker played five games. It was bad. It didn't work. He got benched. He lost his job to P.J. Walker. We will probably never see Baker Mayfield viewed as a starting quarterback ever again in the NFL. However, what if Baker Mayfield had stayed in Cleveland and had like a 6-3 and three record right now, was playing pretty solid? Then a team might have wanted him next year. But as it stands, Baker went to a bad team and didn't get a lot of help. Didn't play great either. I'm not going to make excuses for Baker. I'm not one of those guys. But I thought Baker could have played a lot better. And unfortunately, um, I just think Carolina was not a good opportunity for him. People talk about how great Carolina was. And I'm like, ah, okay. But clearly, you know, 10 weeks into the year now, we look back and go, you know, Baker shouldn't have been excited about going to Carolina. Baker probably should have played ball with uh, Cleveland and tried to make that work. I wonder if I, you know, I forgot about this. Should I? Is it better with this down? I have a, uh, a window cover that I forgot to pull down. I think it's better. I did like this. We'll see. I try to do some kind of creative um, intro to the show. 
We'll see if it works out. I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, but ah, did my best. Anyway, let's talk about this weekend. This weekend is NFL Week 10. The first game on Sunday morning is Seattle against Tampa in Germany, by the way, in Munich, Germany. Honestly, I think this game is a really, really interesting matchup. Seattle is 6-3. and three. They are playing very well. They're first in their division. Tampa is 4-5. and five. Tampa's coming off a comeback victory against the L.A. Rams, where on the final drive, Tom Brady came alive, made a bunch of plays, led them on a game-winning touchdown drive. The question is, will that final drive against the Rams be a turning point for Tampa? Because Tampa has to start winning and playing well. This feels like a must-win game for Tampa. If they can get back to 5-5 five and five and first in their division, and that can be their springboard off to a lot of wins in the future— then they could make the playoffs and maybe make a run. But it's now or never. And I I will say this, man. Tom Brady, when he's backed into a corner and has to make plays, he's regularly done that during his NFL career. It feels like that kind of moment. Uh, I just think it's exciting. Geno Smith against Tom Brady in Germany. There's a lot of passion for football in Germany. And I think it's going to be really, really fun. Minnesota plays at Buffalo. This one is a big game. Uh, The Vikings are 7-1. Buffalo is six and two. I would Buffalo is probably the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. I know that's controversial. The top couple teams in the NFL, you got Minnesota, Philly, Kansas City, and Buffalo, all of the best records roughly in the NFL. But there's a lot of uncertainty whether Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, is gonna play. He missed a couple practices dealing with an elbow injury. I hope that not only Josh Allen plays, I hope Josh Allen is healthy for this game. Because what I want to see from this game is Minnesota get tested by Buffalo at full strength. The Vikings are 7-1, and one, and a lot of the Vikings' wins are really unimpressive. You know, when they played Miami, for example, Tua was hurt. Their starting quarterback didn't play. Oh, great! You beat Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson. How impressive. They beat the Packers. Ugh, they suck. The Lions, the Saints, Arizona, Washington. They barely beat Washington, by the way. The best team Minnesota has played all year is Philly, and they lost. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't look at the win total for Minnesota kind of with a sideways look like you haven't really beat anybody yet. Can you beat Buffalo? And I, what I hope is we can see Minnesota against Buffalo at full strength with Josh Allen because I really want to see, like, how, how good is Minnesota actually? It's a good litmus test. If Minnesota beats Buffalo with Case Keenum at quarterback, I'm like— I don't know, man. Like that's kind of kind of not what I wanted. I really I really wanted to see them tested. Now, can you imagine Case Keenum, by the way, once upon a time played in Minnesota. He got replaced by none other than Kirk Cousins. Kind of an interesting storyline there. Um, you know, maybe Case Keenum gets revenge a little bit against his former team that decided not to keep him long term. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's it's interesting to me. It would be kind of a huge problem if Minnesota lost to Buffalo with a backup quarterback. I'm already a little bit skeptical of Minnesota. If they lose to Buffalo and Josh Allen doesn't play, ooh, suddenly 7-2 and two doesn't feel great. When you look at the wins Minnesota has, again, the Packers, the Lions, New Orleans, who's terrible, Arizona, who's awful. They beat Washington barely. A last-second field goal is what it took. And if after next week the losses for Minnesota are Buffalo with a backup quarterback and, you know, 
Philly, we're kind of going to be a little bit disenchanted by the awesome stuff going on in Minnesota. I hope they win. I'm actually rooting for Minnesota here. I, I want to see them legitimize themselves, but it's up in the air. The Lions play at Chicago. The thing I'm interested in this football game is the Bears offense. They played really well against Miami last week. They keep making progress on offense. Chicago does. This will be Chase Claypool's second game since getting traded to Chicago. Last week, he only had two catches on six targets. I want to see if maybe Chase Claypool has a bigger role after spending another week of practice with the team in Chicago. Uh, But the Bears have shown a lot of progress and a lot of promise, even, is a great word. Feels like a very winnable game. You know, you're playing Detroit, who is two and six. Now, the Lions defense last week played very well against Aaron Rodgers. I can't tell yet, was that Detroit's defense getting better? Or more likely, was it the Packers offense being all not only bad, but also Aaron Rodgers having kind of a bad fluky day? So was last week a fluke for the Lions defense, or are they actually getting better? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. I think the Bears win this game. And it's a great opportunity for them to really show the progress they've made as the year has gone on. Denver at Tennessee. Tennessee took Kansas City to overtime with their backup quarterback, Malik Willis, last week, only completing five passes. I mean, I thought that was a really impressive performance by Tennessee. Their defense played really well. You know, they ran the ball incredibly well. On paper, this game is a massive mismatch. Denver should not be able to hang with Tennessee. Tennessee has got a better defense, better coaching, a terrifying running game. I think Tennessee, no matter who's playing quarterback for them, Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis, should win easily. But it does look like they're going to get their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, back from an injury. So I expect Tennessee is going to win this game against Denver by a lot. Cleveland at Miami. It's interesting, man. The Browns are 3-5. and They are trying to keep their season alive until their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, Comes back from his suspension week 13. It's going to be an interesting game, by the way, at Houston against his former team. Miami, though, has a super fun offense to watch. They throw the ball a ton. They got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Any chance I get to watch Miami's offense, I'm excited. I love Tua. I love Mike McDaniel. I love what they're doing in Miami. And what's interesting is nobody really knows how to stop Miami's offense. Maybe Miles Garrett can just take over in the defensive line. I have no idea. So far, nobody has an answer and can really slow down Tyreek Hill, Tua, and Jalen Waddell. Maybe Carolina comes up with, sorry, excuse me, maybe Cleveland can come up with something different and interesting this week to challenge Miami. I'm not sure they will, but keep your eye on that. Dallas plays at Green Bay, and it's the first time the former Packers head coach, Mike McCarthy, now the Cowboys head coach, is going back to Green Bay since they fired him. This one's fun. It's interesting. And I think Mike McCarthy is going to get a lot of really good revenge against his former franchise. Dallas is a way better team. And the Packers are a mess. They can barely throw the football. Their receiving core is terrible. I expect the Cowboys to win by a lot. And I think Mike McCarthy is going to give us kind of a signature little smile, wink, and a nod during this game. And I think that would be kind of fun and interesting. This weekend, Arizona plays against the L.A. Rams uh, in L.A. I'm not sure how Cliff Kingsbury still has a job as head coach in Arizona. Honestly, they're 3-6. Last week was horrible against Seattle. But they haven't fired him yet, I guess. Uh, Okay. And if Arizona loses to L.A. this weekend and they fall to 3-7, I would imagine that's when you fire Cliff Kingsbury. Right? Right? I mean, I... Three and seven? 
The team looks awful. I mean, I thought they were going to fire him last week. So who knows, man? I've got no idea, but keep your eye on that. Uh, we're on Cliff Kingsbury fired watch, basically. Like, can he keep his job and stay alive a little longer? Who knows? Uh, Sunday night football is the Chargers at 49ers. Honestly, it's a very interesting game. I love this because we get to see Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey play at the same time for the 49ers. They have a similar skill set. They can run the ball. They can catch passes. They are crazy athletes. I can't wait for the play. I think we're going to see one with Christian McCaffrey at quarterback and Debo Samuel at running back. Like both of them in the backfield then some kind of wildcat formation. That is insane. Or imagine the formation with Jimmy Garoppolo and the shotgun and on either side, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. That'll be fun. It's terrifying. I don't know how you really stop them. It's, it reminds me actually of Miami's offense. They can do stuff that is just unguardable uh, if they execute well. And Jimmy Garoppolo, not a great quarterback, but he can take easy completions if you give them to him. And I, I think he might have a lot in this football game. For LA, you know, the Chargers, they are five and three. They're coming off their bye week. Hopefully the bye week gave LA a chance to rest and regroup a little bit. Five and three, I think it's a pretty good record given how abysmal the year has been for the Chargers. Injuries galore, all kinds of stuff has gone wrong. Their season's been kind of a mess. So uh, five and three, if they win and go to six and three, that'd be a massive victory for the LA Chargers. Uh, but they also have a coach here, Brandon Staley in LA, who's kind of on the hot seat. Not as bad as Cliff Kingsbury. I've already said Cliff Kingsbury's out. Brandon Staley, I'm I'm kind of wait and see. And I don't think the ownership with the Chargers is in a hurry to get rid of Brandon Staley. They're kind of cheap. They're not ah, they're, they're not known to just fire people midseason. They're kind of a slow-moving glacial franchise. Um, but if LA looks terrible and they fall to 5 and 4, which LA should not be 5 and 4 given all the talent they have. Just keep your eye on that. There's there's a, a brewing storyline that maybe their coach could get fired eventually in LA. Monday night football is Washington at Philly. It's another mismatch. Uh, what I wanted to see was Carson Wentz play at Philly against his old team. But shocker, Carson Wentz is hurt again. He's on the injured reserve. Would have been a fun storyline. I don't know what Carson Wentz does well. <laughs> He's not accurate. Can't extend plays. He's hurt all the time. Makes terrible decisions. Well, okay. I, I, he probably should be the starting quarterback in Washington still. Just because Taylor Heineke isn't amazing and you're paying Carson a lot of money. But... Oh, man, I you know, I'm so disappointed. When the year started, I wanted to see Carson play against his former team Indy and his former team Washington on the road both weeks. Didn't happen because stinking Carson can't stay healthy, which isn't really a surprise. Uh, the Eagles are way better. Philly should win this game by a lot on Monday Night Football, to be totally frank. If Washington can pull off the upset, I would actually be surprised, and uh, it would be very, very noteworthy. Now, four teams have their bye week this weekend. The Bengals. The Bengals are 5-4. and four, Got the week off. The Patriots at 5-4 and four also do not play. They are last in their division, the AFC East. The Jets, hey, 6-3 and three at the bye week. Not bad for you Jets fans out there. The Ravens are also 6-3. and three. They are first in their division, the, NFC, or the AFC North. And uh, those are the four teams on their bye week. The Jaguars play at Kansas City. It's really hard to imagine the Jaguars winning this football game. You're playing a juggernaut, Kansas City. I expect KC to walk away with this game easily, to be totally honest. It's at home for them. It's going to be probably cold. It's cold here where I'm at. I'm, I can't imagine how cold it is over in Kansas City. Uh, so I, I think the Jaguars lose this weekend at KC. 
Houston plays the Giants. The Houston Texans by far have the worst run defense in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Giants are one of the best teams running the football. Giants running back Saquon Barkley is third in rushing in the entire league. So the Giants are 6-2 and two right now. Technically, they are third in their division because of the record in the division, plus Dallas, who's also 6-2, and two, beat the Giants. So in this playoff chase for the New York Giants, every game matters. And when you're playing a team that's not very good like Houston, you got to win this game. It's a gimme, and you got to deliver, and you got to win. So um, keep your eye on this. A lot of pressure on the Giants, in my opinion, actually. You, you got to win this football game. 7-2 and two would be great. Six and three with a loss to Houston would be embarrassing and frustrating if you're a Giants fan. So keep your eye on this one. Saints of Philadelphia. Sorry, whoa, Philadelphia. That's the other place in Pennsylvania. The Saints are playing actually at Pittsburgh across the state. Um, I don't know, man. Saints at Pittsburgh. The Saints are hard to watch. Uh, at least there's a good reason to watch this game, though, because Steelers rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett uh, it's, it's fun to track his progress. That'll be interesting, but I'm, I'm not that excited about Saints at Pittsburgh. The last game I haven't talked about yet is the Colts at the Raiders. The Colts just fired Jeff, sorry, just fired. They fired their head coach, Frank Reich. They hired Jeff Saturday to be their new head coach. Uh, and he's their interim head coach, at least through the rest of this year. We'll see after that. I am very, very interested to see how the Colts do with Jeff Saturday as their head coach. He's never coached in the NFL before, but he played for 14 years, so you could make the argument that he knows what he's doing. I I really liked his opening press conference where he was like, look, man, I got nothing to lose. So we'll see. I think that's kind of a dangerous mindset, actually. When you have nothing to lose, you pose a threat to teams you're playing. The Raiders are 2-6. and The Raiders have had a really frustrating year. It's been painful to track and follow. Um, Early on, the Raiders lost a bunch of games by one score. Then they lost to New Orleans 24 to nothing. They lost to the Jaguars last weekend. Trevor Lawrence outplayed Derek Carr. The Raiders quarterback Derek Carr has been really mediocre this year. It's, it's, ugh, man, I don't know. The Josh McDaniels era in Vegas has not got off to a good start at all. So I think this weekend's a great opportunity for the Raiders to win and, and maybe do something positive for the first time in a while. It's been a, been an uglier for the Raiders. And if they can win, it'd be, it's much needed, but unfortunately, I think actually, I don't know that Jeff Saturday is going to win a lot of games as the Colts head coach. But I think your first week without your head coach, you got this new guy, he's got a lot of energy, Jeff Saturday, Colt legend. He could infuse a lot of passion and energy to that locker room. And for that reason alone, the Colts might win. I don't know. It feels like a trap. The Raiders are playing at home against the Colts team is going to be fired up, and I worry the Raiders are going to lose another one. What do the Raiders do, by the way, if their season is just awful? I mean, if they're like 3-14, and 14, what do you do if you're the Raiders? I, I have no idea. Do you draft another quarterback? Like, what's the problem? It's It's been a just a weird year all around for the Raiders, and I, oh, man, hopefully hopefully for the Raiders' sake they win because they, they got to get things going and, and finish with a better record than they have because right now they're kind of in crisis mode. Now, This weekend is college football week 11. It is not a great weekend in college football. There's a lot of games that I'm like, "Eh, I don't care. But there are three games I am interested in this weekend in college football. Game number one is this. 25-ranked Washington plays at number six-ranked Oregon. Oregon is 8-1. Their only loss was to Georgia week one. Washington is 7-2. 
While Oregon's quarterback Bo Nix is starting to enter Heisman Trophy conversations, Washington's quarterback Michael Penix Jr. is the leading passer in college football. So I expect a fun offensive battle. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., scoring, fun, two quarterbacks with X's in their name, which is irrelevant but interesting. I don't know. I, I ho- I'm hoping for a really fun game this weekend uh, in Oregon. Game number two is number four ranked TCU at number 18, Texas. TCU is 9-0. and They're undefeated. The question is, can Texas upset TCU and ruin their season and, as a result, really impact the college football playoff? There are only four undefeated teams left in college football, soon to be three because Ohio State will play Michigan later this year, later this month. So I think it's two fun quarterbacks. Uh, Texas's quarterback, Quinn Ewers, is so much fun to watch. I think Texas has a shot. And I I don't know. I worry for TCU. I actually want to see TCU make the college football playoff. I think it'd be awesome. Uh, but you're playing on the road at Texas against a dangerous quarterback who, when Quinn Ewers is on, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. So keep your eye on TCU at Texas. Will they be upset? Game number three this weekend is less interesting than it would have been previously if the teams had kept winning. But we have number nine ranked Alabama, seven and two, against number 11 ranked Ole Miss, who's eight and one. What's interesting here is you got two fun quarterbacks, Bryce Young for Bama, Jackson Dart for Ole Miss, and then Lane Kiffin, the head coach at Ole Miss, is a former assistant coach to Nick Saban at Alabama. I, I love watching Nick, uh, you know, not uh, why well, Nick Saban for sure. But Lane Kiffin, every time I watch a Lane Kiffin game, whether it's years ago, Tennessee, the Raiders, Alabama, Ole Miss. I mean, anytime I had to watch a team with Lane Kiffin involved, something interesting happens. He's a fun personality. He's exciting to watch. And I, I'm really just hoping for a great game, hopefully with a good ending. Feels like a opportunity for kind of a really classic, fun SEC football game between Alabama and and Ole Miss, and I'm just hoping for something good and exciting and fun. All right, uh, it is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. I will say I, I need to blow my nose, so give me one second. I'm going to cut, and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Welcome in. It is time for my favorite part of the show. Ask Zach, if you want to submit questions to the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You can, uh, first of all, you donate a dollar a month. A dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on the show. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Uh, if you want to write in, by the way, you can submit questions. Dear Zach's eyeballs, because that's kind of fun. I think I like when people do that. That's fun to me. Hello, Zach's eyeballs. What's up, Zach's eyeballs? Like That's that's what's reading the question, and I, I think it's kind of fun. It's stupid, but fun. Uh, you can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my bills. Uh, I'm living in a truck, doing the best I can. So seriously, like if you want to support me, the best way you can is on Patreon. I, I try everything I can to give you something back. I, I make a regular show. I'm doing everything I can, and I, uh, I read questions on the show. So here we go. Question number one today is from ENK. ENK says, hey, Zach, I appreciate your moderate opinions when it comes to sports, particularly your patience with quarterbacks. I saw a video a month ago calling Justin Fields a bust, and I saw a video a week ago calling Trevor Lawrence a bust. It's like there isn't any patience for quarterbacks to grow. 
I'm not sure if this is all meant to be clickbait or what have you, but I find it incredibly irritating and find your approach much better. Keep up the great work. ENK, thank you. That means a lot, by the way. Um, I try to take my time. I, I think in the media, especially in the sports world, there is a insistence that people are first. First person to call their shot. And as I've done this, I've done this for five years now, this show. The more I've done it, the more I've just really stopped caring about trying to be the first person to say, this guy's a bust. That guy's a failure. Like, I'll do it when I see it. I, I Maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm the first person to say Cliff Kingsbury should be fired. But I'm not afraid to say, here's how I feel. The, the head coach in Arizona is failing. He needs to go. Like, I, I have no problem doing that. But I take my time reaching those conclusions. And especially with quarterbacks, man, I, I want to restate how, you know, my approach to this. The first two years, you got to let your young quarterback fail and make mistakes and grow. By the end of year three in the NFL, that is when a quarterback should start to show good stuff. Year three is when you start to raise your expectations because you're trying to figure out if you need to replace the guy during the offseason after year three. So in the first two years, you're looking for progress and potential. The only reason you replace a quarterback in the first two years, in my opinion, is if you get a better opportunity uh, at quarterback, like a better opportunity presents itself. Say you get the first overall pick and you're like, hey, Bryce Young is available. We're sitting on P.J. Walker in Carolina. Eh, time to move on. A better example would be Davis Mills in Houston, right? Davis Mills is in his second year in Houston. I think Bryce Young is more potential. You would make that move. You also move off a quarterback in the first two years. You're, you're very patient. I think you should be. But if there's a bunch of off-the-field issues, they're missing practices, they're not reading game film. You think of uh, the stories of Jamarcus Russell, actually, in the Raiders organization. Terrible. Or if the quarterback just has limited potential. You have a quarterback who's decent, but, you know, there's not a lot of talent there. They have a weaker arm. They can't run around. If there's too many things a quarterback can't do, that's another reason you replaced a young guy. So those are the only reasons I think you replace a quarterback in their first two years after they are drafted. Limited potential, off-the-field issues, or just you get a better opportunity at the quarterback position. I think it is so important you support your young quarterbacks, though. you got to give them good teammates. you got to give them good coaching. And good coaching means you get an offense that builds on their skill set. You build an offense around what they do best. Some of the stuff that I think a lot of coaches have failed at in the past is building an offense around their quarterback skill set. Can you imagine if, oh my gosh, so many quarterbacks over the years who have been great athletes and just haven't gotten a great opportunity. Like the NFL now goes, hey, if um, you've got a guy who's special running the football, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, how about we start calling plays that takes advantage of that rather than forcing them to be a straight drop back quarterback? I think of Michael Vick early on in his career. Not exactly, like, or even another one is, who's that guy out of West Virginia? Left-handed quarterback. I'm forgetting his name right now. I used him all the time in Madden. Like, there have been so many quarterbacks over the years who have a great, had a great ability to run. But the NFL is just now finally figuring out, hey, if your quarterback can run, that's a skill set you should take advantage of and create play designs to lean into that. Um, that's what good coaching does, in my opinion, is you look at a quarterback's skill set, their strengths, what they do well, what they're comfortable with, and you build your offense to fit that. That is what Miami has done with Tua. That is what Philadelphia has done with Jalen Hurts. And that is what Chicago is learning to do with Justin Fields, their young quarterback. So I don't know, man. I When you get a coach who's trying to force your young quarterback into a certain scheme rather than molding the scheme to the quarterback, 
that is when you run into a lot of problems. And when I would argue the quarterback isn't being properly coached or supported. The Hamman writes in. Hamman says, hey, Zach's eyes. Love that. What do you think the best option for the Seahawks is in the draft? Should we draft a project quarterback? I don't pay attention to college football, so I don't have any specific names and have him learn behind a smart veteran quarterback and let him take the reins when Geno is done. Keep up the good work. I think you mean, what should the Seattle Seahawks do quarterback-wise in the draft? Because in the draft, they should just keep drafting good players. Like, they they don't need a quarterback at all. Uh, if I'm Seattle, I would draft a quarterback in the third or maybe even fourth round. Because you got Geno. He's playing really well. You're going to pay Geno Smith. Geno Smith is going to be your quarterback for the next couple of years, unless something crazy happens. I think you draft a... What I would do is draft, like, a, a fourth-round quarterback with high potential... That has a lot of growing to do because the benefit is you don't need a quarterback day one next year. You can draft a quarterback who's really talented, who can sit on the bench for a while. Uh, if you can get your hands on, gosh, Anthony, um, what's his name? A.R. Anthony Robinson? Robinson? Why can't I remember his name right now? Anthony Richardson. Jesus. A.R. 15 is how I remember his name, but he, he changed up brand. If you can get Anthony Richardson out of Florida, which I, I blank on names all the time. It's not me being stupid. It's me being stupid, but it's not like I don't know who he is. I just, names, when you need them, they escape me. Uh, so if you can get Anthony Richardson out of Florida, maybe the most talented quarterback in all of college football, I'd drop him in the second round if I was Seattle. Not because you need him, but because that's how high his potential is. You can sit him for three years behind Geno Smith and let him learn. Or maybe you draft Jaden Daniels out of LSU in the fourth round or Adrian Martinez out of Kansas State or maybe draft the local kid who's playing at UW, Michael Penix Jr. Quarterback is not a need for Seattle at all. But what I think smart teams do is when you've got a quarterback who's 32 like Geno Smith, he's playing well, you invest in that position for later. You get a really talented quarterback later in the draft who maybe a couple years from now could potentially turn into something. Let him sit, let him learn. Uh, but it's not a priority at all for Seattle to draft a quarterback. They've got a quarterback already, Geno Smith. I, I am a Geno Smith fan, but also it's just redundant. It'd be stupid to waste a first-round pick uh, on a quarterback. I think the only the highest I would draft a quarterback if I was Seattle is if you can get Anthony Richardson, the quarterback out of Florida, in the second round. You take that shot because he's that talented, and you have the luxury of Geno can play for three more years and sit uh, AR-15 Anthony Richardson and let him learn. Otherwise, I would not make the move to draft a quarterback really at all until the third or fourth round if I was Seattle. And the third round even feels a bit early given just how much of an opportunity you have to keep building your football team around Geno Smith. Nathan writes in. Nathan says, Hey, Zach, with Frank Reich gone and Matt Rule fired, what other coaches do you see being on the hot seat along with that? What coaches in the league do you see being head coaches next year besides Sean Payton? So I think I've called for Cliff Kingsbury's job. I've openly said Cliff Kingsbury should be fired in Arizona. Uh, Dennis Allen in New Orleans doesn't have a quarterback. It's not really his fault, but he's got a terrible record as a head coach just throughout his career, both with the Raiders and now the Saints. He's probably on the chopping block. Zach Taylor is in Cincinnati. Uh, Brandon Staley in L.A. The second half of the year, those guys, Dennis Allen, Zach Taylor, and Brandon Staley, you're trying to convince your team why they should keep you. If the second half of the year is good for either of those guys, Dennis Allen, Zach Taylor, Brandon Staley, if the second half of the year is good for them, I think they would have been able to convince their team why they should be kept. But otherwise, 
I don't know, man. I, I'm not really that excited. Zach Taylor, I wouldn't fire him, but I've heard his name thrown around a lot. Now, the coaches that I think should be out there, um, man, I think the biggest one, the, the most underrated coach right now in the NFL is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. I don't know why the heck this guy isn't getting hired. Like, I look at some of the coaches in the NFL, and I'm like, bro, no one wants Eric Bieniemy. Like, why? What, what about it? He's, I love the way he presents himself. He's been a coach with Andy Reid for years. Andy Reid coaches in a way that teaches the people around him how to be a head coach. Andy Reid has been prepping Eric Bieniemy to be a head coach for so long. And I think he'd be a great fit for a lot of places. Like, he, he works hard. He understands the NFL. I uh, I don't know, man. I think the, the place I would hire Eric Bieniemy is, is Arizona. I think what the play calling and play design he's created for Patrick Mahomes and the way Mahomes has been coached to allow freedom of expression and ability to run around and make plays, that's what Kyler Murray needs. Imagine if Kyler Murray played in Kansas City's offense. Oh, wait, that's actually possible. You could take the guy calling and designing plays in Kansas City and put him in Arizona tomorrow. Eric Bieniemy, hire the guy. I, that's what I would do. And I, I am baffled that somehow still Eric Bieniemy does not have a job in the NFL. It's weird to me. Like, oh, man. It's, it's just, I mean, I saw memes like, bro, Jeff Saturday really got a job at an ESPN before Eric Bieniemy got hired. And I'm like, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think it's, it's bizarre. I don't know why the NFL doesn't seem to want Eric Bieniemy, but I would hire the guy in a heartbeat. What's popular right now? Offensive coaching helping young quarterbacks. Why? Because it works. Look at <laughs> look at Miami with Tua. Look at Brian Dable, an offensive coach, winning six and two with the Giants. Look at uh, Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, seven and one. Hire an offensive coach who can help your quarterback. You need a coach who works closely with your quarterback and understands that position and can develop your young quarterback. And I, man, I, I can't believe Eric Bieniemy is still available and no one seems to want him. Davis writes in and says, so uh, Jeff Saturday is an NFL coach now. His only experience is being a high school coach. My belief is that he's acting like a spy for Jim Irsay, the owner, who is and isn't worth keeping as staff and players. Especially, it's suspicious, because there are two former head coaches on staff, John Vox and Gus Bradley. And one coach who people consider a future head coach, Bubba Ventroni. Bubba Ventroni, I would assume. I think it's an Italian name, but I don't really know. Bubba Ventrone. Just more weird actions from Jim Mercy. I totally agree. He then also comments, Davis says, I also want it noted, Colts Nation does love Frank Reich. He's a good guy who was in a bad situation, and we needed a change. If any team hires him as their head coach or offensive coordinator, they're getting one hell of a guy. I met him once, and he's really just a good man. Yeah, Frank Reich is going to be an awesome offensive coordinator, no matter where he goes next. Um, but Jim Irsay, what a bizarre... He's the next Jerry Jones. Like People are not talking enough about how much of a loose cannon and even slightly unhinged um, Jim Irsay is. I like your theory, Davis. He's working as a spy. He's, he's going to be in the owner's pocket, feeding the owner any information he wants, and... Um, I think it really, that the fact that that's even possible shows the disconnect between ownership and the coaching staff. Jim Irsay feels like an outsider in his own building, which, uh, I don't, it's not here nor there. It's just kind of interesting. 
It's very wild, though, that Jeff Saturday got hired by the Colts. I saw his opening press conference. Basically, Jeff Saturday said, I got nothing to lose. YOLO. Like, uh, it's cool. I'm, I'm sure he thought of it. And he, he basically said as much that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to be the coach of the Colts. It's a team he loves, a franchise he loves, a city he loves. And why not give it a shot? And I, I kind of agree with him, actually. Why not? If you win, great. If Jeff Saturday can win games with the Colts, that would be awesome. But... If they lose, all you're really doing is helping the team you love get a better draft pick. So you can't really fail here that much. Um, it's a weird way for the Colts to tank, but kind of a fun way. And I hope, if nothing else, Jeff Saturday gives us interesting interviews and fun insight into the Colts organization. And I don't know. Like, I, I'm actually, I'm here for it. I think it's going to be interesting and a good time. Uh, now, Daniel writes in and says, Hey, Zach, what's the verdict on Tom Brady? From my understanding, he had one good game-winning drive against the Rams, but otherwise played poorly. I, however, didn't really watch the game besides that drive. Is Tom Brady closer to the 10th best quarterback or the 30th? Memes are out there about his 1-0 record since the divorce, but do you believe that this is going to carry over? First of all, let's say this. Tom Brady is a lot closer to the 10th best quarterback in the NFL than the 30th. He's not a bottom-tier quarterback in the NFL. Uh, honestly, physically, Tom Brady still has it. None of his issues have been physical. Tom Brady can still throw the football at a high level. Um, especially, like, compare where Peyton Manning was his final year with Denver to where Tom Brady is now. Tom Brady is light years better than Peyton Manning was. Peyton Manning can barely throw the football. Tom Brady is, like, still very capable. The problems with Tom Brady have been scheme and timing, little details that... In the past, he's gotten right. He's gotten wrong this year. Guys running the wrong routes, timing being off. Um, I think a lot of it's been injuries and inconsistencies with him being available and the team being available. And, um, you know, Tom Brady's not going to retire after this year. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. I think he's going to regroup and keep going. Um, I think maybe if, if in fact, um, Tampa can make a run here and get going, like, they had a great final drive against the Rams. That really could be a turning point in their season. Maybe they go to Germany, they beat the Seahawks, and they really keep things going and start you know, building on that success. I think it's possible that um, Seattle goes on kind of a run here. But I, I don't—or sorry, that, that Tampa goes on kind of a run here. I'm not sure they will or not, but um, I'll tell you what. Over and over again, when Tom Brady's been back into a corner and has to make a play, he's done it. Now we're kind of seeing that on a grander scale. It's a season where Tom Brady's back into a corner. He's four and five. He's got to make it happen now or never. And I find it easy to believe that Tom Brady, who's done it over and over in his career, the comeback kid, can pull a comeback on the season for Tampa and his team. And I think a lot of it was he dealt with his personal life. And your personal life can be a really big, difficult distraction. Richmond writes in and says, if you were a head coach and could have any former college or NFL player on your staff, who would you take? Doesn't have to be a play caller. They could just be a position coach. Personally, I would take RG3. He's really enthusiastic and knowledgeable about the sport and always seems to put 100% into what he does, regardless of what it is. Um, Richmond, I think you're thinking kind of small. Honestly, I, I, Peyton Manning comes to mind. I would Peyton Manning on my coaching staff? Like... In my head, I'm imagining he doesn't want to coach, like he's he's a broadcasting guy. But that in in this hypothetical situation, you've kind of allowed me. 
well, then I imagine that I there's some reason I'm forcing him to. It's kind of a fun thought. Like, that's kind of a, a hilarious thought. Like, hey, Peyton Manning, you have to. I, I have three wishes from a football genie, and one of them is that you have to be my quarterback coach. And he's like, all right, I guess I got to really take my loaf of bread forehead and have a great time, coach. Like, Tom Brady be a – sorry, Peyton Manning would be a great quarterback coach. He'd be awesome. He'd be fun if he wanted to. Like, nobody – someone wrote in uh, on the show about, like, Zach, would you be a good head uh, – would you be a good college coach? And – Probably I, I could, but to be a good coach, you have to want to be a coach. I don't know that I want to work with other people. Um, I don't know that Peyton Manning wants to be a good coach, but if he wanted to and put in the work and and cared, Peyton Manning would be an incredible football coach. And uh, I, I, you know, Richmond, you're thinking kind of small. You're thinking guys who, like RG three, is a realistic person who might actually want to coach. But if and if you're thinking realistic. I think RG3 is a great option. But if you can pick anyone, which your question is very wide open, any former player, oh, bro, I pick Peyton Manning in a heartbeat. I'd love to have Peyton Manning on my staff for another than, for at minimum, the stories he would give us just in coaching meetings would be awesome. So I don't know. I, Peyton Manning would be a great coach. Um, Kurt Warner comes to mind. Kurt Warner's been a, a high school football coach before. Uh, there's a lot of guys. I, I take... Think of a legendary former quarterback. That's who I want to be on my coaching staff, hypothetically. Nasty the Samurai writes in his long one. Nasty says, hey, Zach, it is more than halfway into the year, and I think it is time that everyone who clowned on Tua Tungvaloa and Tyree Kill this offseason apologizes to them. Oftentimes, as NFL fans and as people in general, we tend to forget when we are wrong or make mistakes. But this is one that I feel needs to be addressed. When Tyreek Hill was traded, everyone laughed and said how much of a downgrade he was getting from quarterback and practically wrote him off before he ever played in South Beach. And then laughed at him for being a great teammate and coming to the, to the defense of his quarterback. Remember, he defended. He's like, yeah, he's really accurate. I love him. In fact, he said most accurate quarterback I've ever played with, which was kind of a people like, you played with Patrick Mahomes. Are you crazy? On top of that, People have unjustly questioned Tua's play and called for his job since he first got to Miami, which is due to nothing more than Justin Herbert's record-setting rookie year. Since then, Tua has led his team to more wins and fourth-quarter comebacks than Justin Herbert and is looking, and is even looking just as good, if not better, than Tyreek Hill's old quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Tyreek Hill is playing his best, the best he has in his career with Tua as his quarterback. And now everyone seems to have forgotten their harsh criticism slash overreaction at this dynamic duo in, two, in Miami, which I think we need to acknowledge as a huge mistake. So you're saying people really criticized Tua and Tyreek Hill, and they were wrong. And I agree with you. You do say something here that's a bit crazy. You say, um, crazy is harsh too. <laughs> um, you know, you could say is looking just as good, if not better than Tyreek Hill's old quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Tua, I love the guy. I'm probably the biggest Tua fan in the world. I've got a Tua, tiny Tua shirt with tiny Tua's all over it. It's like a Hawaiian shirt. Two is not better than Patrick Mahomes, though. Like, we both need to be honest about that. But Tua's has looked incredible. And, and you're right. People were making fun of Tua a lot and making fun of Tyreek Hill, and they were wrong. Now, um, I, I just think you're not going to get apologies from anybody. Nobody likes to admit when they're wrong. I, I try to do it as much as I can. I think it's a great skill to have in your personal life, whether you're broadcasting or just dealing with other humans you have to be willing to own your faults and admit when you're wrong. 
ah, nasty. You're not going to get people to admit, to agree. Like I was wrong. People just aren't going to do that because humans don't do that and people suck. Um, but I will say that I love watching Tua succeed. I was excited. I remember, I mean, I, I, I don't think I need to apologize. I'm, I'm pretty sure at the time I was excited. I remember I'm a huge Tua fan. I've always given him a shot and a chance. And I remember thinking like, this is awesome because we really get to see if Tua is any good or not. Cause if you can't win Tyreek Hill, you suck. But I thought, hey, Tyreek Hill is going to give him the best opportunity he's ever had to do well. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, how do you stop him? That's what's happened. And also what's been interesting is this year we've seen Miami play with Tua and Miami play without Tua. Miami is decidedly better with Tua as their quarterback, which means he's valuable. Like Teddy Bridgewater, I thought Teddy Bridgewater was going to be better than he was for sure. And Teddy Bridgewater did not look very good running the Dolphins offense. And then Skylar Thompson, you know, not Tua, Tua special. And kind of reminds me a lot of a young Drew Brees. And uh, I know that leads me to my next question, which is also about Tua. Logie writes in, Logie says, I don't know this name. I, I apologize. I don't know this guy, but I should have looked him up. I, I wish I had. No, no hate. I just don't know him. Barry McCockiner? Is that his name? Barry McCockiner in his last video called Tua, Tua System Viloa, which is funny. It is funny. Uh, and it's surprisingly fair. But I don't think that being, quote, a system quarterback is bad. There is no doubt that Tua is better in the new system, but everyone needs a good system to win. Plus, Tua is making the most of his good system, so I think he is elite in an elite system. What do you think? Logie, I love your writing. Uh, Drew Brees played in Sean Payton's system in New Orleans. Is Drew Brees a system quarterback? Yeah, I guess. Like, he, he needed help. He needed a good system plan. Well, as a pine cone landed on the ceiling of my roof. Anyway, uh, on, no. is it a ceiling when you're in a truck? It's just a roof, right? Or is it the same ceiling roof? They're the same thing? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> did you hear that? It landed really loud. I, I would imagine you could hear that over the microphone. Anyway, um, why is it bad to master the offense you play in? It's system quarterback in general is dumb. I hate that term. Like, what does that mean? Does, shouldn't every quarterback be a system quarterback? You master the system you're in. I think what that means is you wouldn't be as good without your system, but how many quarterbacks are successful because they got good coaching and, and have good play calls? Everyone. I, I don't, I just, it's, it's a baffling, bizarre thing to say. I don't know. Isn't every quarterback kind of a system quarterback and, Coaches build offense to fit the skill set of the team. So I don't know. I, I just hate, I hate when people use system quarterback to insult someone. Cause it's like, uh, has Patrick Mahomes ever succeeded outside of Andy Reid's system? No. Is Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback? Uh, you know, it's like, a, it just seems like a dumb criticism. I don't like it. It's because with a different coaching staff, he wasn't very good. And something with this coaching staff, too, was really good. But that's because he had a bad offense and a bad system and bland vanilla play calls. That a coach didn't trust him. I watched Miami last year, literally, like, they would call, like, they would throw, have, like, two routes run downfield, and they were both stop routes. And you're like, what, what, what? <laughs> this is not good at all. What are you doing? Against man coverage, they're going to call two hitches? And that's it? That's the only option to ask the throw to is two comebacks? Like, the heck are you doing? So... I don't know, man. Barry McCockiner, is that his name? I Like, I should look him up. I I, I worry now he's going to, like, he, I, he doesn't care who I am, right? He's not going to attack me. I don't want to attack. I don't want beef with anybody. 
But I just think that's a silly criticism. And Barry, if you're out there, come on the show. Let's talk about that. But I, I think that's a a borderline. I, I played quarterback in college, man. I wasn't a very good one, but I played quarterback. I played quarterback like most of my life. Um, I think it's uneducated when you call a quarterback a system quarterback because every quarterback plays in a system. Like I, I just don't know what that criticism even really means. System quarterback. Okay. Uh, I, I had to master every offense I ever played in. The guy who masters the offense best was the guy who played on the field on Saturdays and Fridays. So I don't know, man. It's It's just weird to me. I don't really like the system quarterback criticism. I never have and never really makes sense to me. Patrick writes in, Patrick says, Hey Zach, do you think with the amazing progress LSU has made over the year from Jaden Daniels to the defense, they would have any shot against Georgia in the SEC title game? And what do you think has to go right for them in order to potentially make the playoffs with two losses? Or where do you see their best case scenario, if not the playoffs? I personally I'm a huge fan of the prog- progression the Tigers have shown this year, especially over the course, uh, of course, the win against Alabama. Just really, really, really fun stuff to watch. Let's talk about LSU. It's, let's just dive in and have fun. Um, what has to happen for LSU to make the college football playoff is where I want to start, actually. Uh, Clemson lost. They moved out of the way. Uh, Michigan law is going to probably lose to Ohio State on November 26th. That's going to make another one-loss football team. Uh, if TCU loses, they're out. They're going to be like the eighth-ranked team in the country. If LSU can win out and other people ranked ahead of them can keep losing, they're in. I mean, it's it's that simple, really. If if the Pac-12 can uh, beat each other up a little more and have only— imagine if there's all only two-loss Pac-12 teams. If there's not a one-loss Oregon team or a one-loss USC or one-loss UCLA, then the Pac-12 is out. So the only way the Pac-12 gets in now is if— People ahead of them lose, and they have one team that only has one loss. Uh, If TCU loses, that would really help LSU. If LSU can win out and then beat Georgia in the SEC title game, I would see a world where Georgia and LSU would both make it into the SEC title, uh, the college football playoff. You'd have probably Georgia with one loss ranked four, which would be absurd, but they probably would be. LSU would probably be ranked two. Ohio State probably one. And then who am I missing? Who's out there? That uh, There's another team I'm, I'm blanking on right now. Who are the... Man, am I crazy? No, I guess that would be because if TCU lost, yeah, you'd probably have Georgia. You, Oh, man, that's such a fun thought. My point is this, right? Teams ahead of LSU have to lose. And LSU has to win out. That's how they make it into the college football play. If it's actually kind of kind of straightforward. You, you win every game the rest of the year, you're in. Um... Right now, LSU is first in the SEC West. On their schedule, they play Georgia. Uh, sorry, they're not on their schedule. But if they keep winning, they're on schedule to play Georgia in the SEC title game. On LSU's best day, I think they can hang with Georgia. Win, I'm not sure. But if they can hang around, why can't LSU beat Georgia? If in the fourth quarter, it's a three-point game, I don't know why LSU couldn't be the one to win that football game. LSU's got a super mobile quarterback, great receivers, talent everywhere. It's a little bit of a mismatch. Like, Georgia is better than LSU, I think, on paper. But this is not—LSU-Georgia is not comparable to, like, New Mexico State against Alabama. It's not such a big mismatch that LSU has no shot. Like, LSU has an opportunity, if they play their best game, to beat Georgia. And I— I think that's interesting. If things go right in that game, 
LSU against Georgia. I don't see why LSU wouldn't have a legit shot at the upset. So, um, I don't know. I, I agree with you, man. I, I, I love Brian Kelly, first of all. He got made fun of a lot when LSU got made fun of a lot when they hired Brian Kelly. And I was like, ah, uh, Brian Kelly's been doing amazing stuff at Notre Dame for years. Like, does no one care or pay attention? And I think people just assumed Brian Kelly was a good coach because he coached at Notre Dame and got elevated by that program. I would say, actually, Brian Kelly probably elevated the Notre Dame football program. So, um, I I don't know, man. I, I just love what LSU is doing, and I, I, too, think it's really, really fun stuff. Next write-in today comes from Carter. Carter says, Should Cliff Kingsbury get a shot as an offensive coordinator somewhere? It feels like if he didn't have to manage the whole team and could focus on just the offense, he could be a star with his creativity. I could see him and Eric Bieniemy flipping places and it working out for both sides. Um, I think Cliff Kingsbury could maybe be a good college offensive coordinator. I am not convinced that Cliff Kingsbury's system actually works in the NFL. He totally neglects the running game. It's ah, he, He's had great players his whole career. I, I don't know. I... Think of, you know, how did um, Cliff Kingsbury become the head coach at Texas Tech? He was the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Johnny Manziel was his quarterback. So, like, I don't know. I thought Johnny Manziel made him look good often by making crazy plays. I just, Cliff Kingsbury had a losing record in college as a head coach and, again, has a losing record in the NFL. Um... And I, I just, does he work in the NFL? I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see him as an offensive coordinator in college football. That's a great idea for him. I don't know that he should be elevated any further. It was pretty wild to get hired at, at Arizona anyway, given he was a losing head coach in college. Um, and I'm just, I'm so unimpressed with Cliff Kingsbury. And maybe it would be best for him is to take a year or two off and then resurface at like Alabama as a quarterback coach or something. Like just take some time. Enjoy your money, and if you want to coach again, go earn your stripes and work your way back up the ladder. But I think he, Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, kind of lucked into success with Johnny Manziel as his quarterback, got hired at Texas Tech, which was an overachievement by him. Then somehow, after failing at Texas Tech, got hired in Arizona, which is like another overachievement, which should have never happened. And then here we are, he's, he's failing, and why is anyone surprised? You know, it's like, uh, I don't think he was always kind of out of his depth as a head coach. So I don't know. Christopher writes in, Christopher says, Hey Zach, what would it take for Daniel Jones to be the best quarterback in his draft class? In your opinion? I mean, Daniel Jones has, has to win and put up really big numbers. I mean, look at the draft class in 2019, Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, um, rest in peace to Wade Haskins. Will Greer, Jarrett Stidham, Gardner Minshew was actually in 2019. Easton Stick, I think, was drafted by the Chargers. Like, there's not crazy competition in that draft class. I mean, I know there's others I'm forgetting right now. But all he has to do, really, is be better than Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is the only other person who's turned into a great quarterback in the 2019 draft class. And Kyler Murray got paid a lot of money, but he's not winning. So if Daniel Jones can win and put up some big numbers, bam, you're probably already the best quarterback in the 2019 draft class. It's actually not that hard because of how weak that draft class kind of is. Balin writes in. Balin has a long one. Balin says, hey, Zach, 
What are your thoughts on Oregon quarterback Bo Nix now that we've seen most of a year out of him? Coming from Auburn, he was jokingly called Bo Picks for his tendency to throw ugly interceptions inexplicably. And that's who we thought he would be here. But turns out, he actually is damn good at football. He's a prime example of a field general and looks damn good doing it. His command of the offense and ability to read defenses is far above what we thought at Oregon, and even his picks have declined drastically. According to the coaching staff, all they did was teach him not to run backwards and instead escape the pocket towards the sideline. That has completely changed his game, and he's even garnered a few uh, a new name here in Eugene, Bo Six, uh, as he and this offense have become a touchdown machine, scoring 40-plus points in the last eight games, the current longest active streak. So what do you think of Bo Nix? And do you think he's a good enough quarterback to get an invite to New York as a Heisman finalist? Yes, this talk is starting to happen around here as now his stats and production are very similar to Marcus Mariota's Heisman year. I'm not saying or thinking he'll win it, but do you think Bo Nix even gets the invite? And do you think he and the offense can overcome our defensive deficiencies and at least become competitive in the playoffs if Oregon gets in? I was watching a game this weekend. I was watching uh, Tennessee-Georgia, actually. And Bo Nick's name came up in a graphic when they talked about Heisman possible quarterbacks. So for sure, I think Bo Nix is in the Heisman conversation. Um, he's kind of a dark horse, but I, I think he's definitely in the conversation. Um, he's thrown for 22 touchdowns. He's ran for 13 touchdowns. Bo Nix is fun to watch, man. I don't know. Uh, I think two quarterbacks transferred this year and really helped themselves going into their final year of college football. Jaden Daniels left Arizona State to go to LSU, put on a show. Bo Nix left Auburn to go to Oregon, and he's better. And I, he's getting good coaching, and I, I honestly wish this coaching staff had worked with Justin Herbert in college because Justin Herbert didn't get great at quarterback coaching at Oregon either. Uh, Bo Nix getting good coaching at Auburn. They're helping him. I love what you said. Don't just backpedal and lose yards if you're going to leave the pocket and deal with pressure roll out right or left escape the pocket keep a play alive as you extend towards the sideline it's made a huge difference on Bo Nix and he's taken really good coaching and gotten better and I don't know man I'm just excited Bo Nix man is a guy with he's another one that maybe is like a second or third round pick who I I draft Bo Nix man if I'm I'm trying to think like there's a lot of places he could go I think Bo Nix is so mobile. He's a good athlete. He's clearly very coachable. And the best thing about him is he's got this ability to run around that a lot of other quarterbacks don't have. And Bo Nix has a huge arm. I think Bo Nix might be an NFL quarterback, you guys. And uh, he's getting overlooked. And he's got work to do. He's got polish for sure that needs to happen. But the base skill set is a guy who can run around really well. He's got a huge arm and is clearly, clearly very, very coachable. So I, I like the thought of Bo Nix going to the NFL and doing well. And I, I, at this point, he reminds me of Jalen Hurts. Like, he's a second-round pick that you draft and, and probably could play pretty quickly and take good coaching. So I don't know, man. Is he going to get an invite to the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York? I think so. But time will tell on that. I don't really care about that. I care about the NFL. And Bo Nix right now, I, I'm, I can't wait to watch him this weekend against Washington. Bo Nix has looked like an NFL quarterback this year. And... uh that's pretty cool. And again, I don't hold a Georgia loss against Bo Nix because his team is so physically outmatched. Like, he had no shot in that game. And uh, I don't think it's fair to judge him against uh, a team that was so clearly way, way, way better than his football team. All right, guys. Um, I saw a piece of news today 
Washington put out like a a response to them being, you know, the the attorney general in Washington is um, like really investigating the Washington football team. And they put out some statement like, well, you know, recently one of our players got shot in the streets and they're just throwing Brian Robinson who got shot earlier this year and using him as kind of a political um, tact. And I, it's just so disappointing. Like Washington as, a, as an organization is so full of so many scumbags. And I just, it's so clear that the organization is corrupt and they got to sell the team. I mean, I, I, there's no way forward otherwise. And um, I think it's kind of it's so classless that they would, um, you know, use one of their players as a pawn in their political moves as they deal with a, a lawsuit. It's not surprising. It's just unfortunate. I want to check, make sure there's no news that's gone down uh, in the last couple of minutes while I've been looking around. I don't think there are. Um, Josh Allen is questionable. Uh, we'll see if, uh, yeah, no, no. Basically, there's no new news right now. I'm just looking to see. There's not a lot going on here. Um, yeah. Okay, we're waiting. Nothing happening. So, uh, Jason Verrett tore his Achilles in practice. That's kind of the only thing. The, the 49ers lost their corner. Not a lot of news happening in the NFL. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I love you guys so much. I really appreciate it. I, uh, man, I, I'm actually, I, I developed a fascination with the Falcons offense this, these past couple days because I just, I don't like the play calling in, in, in Atlanta. And I think they're not doing Marcus Mariota very good service. Um, building an offense that fits his skill set. I think Arthur Smith is kind of stubborn. I think it's very weird that the Falcons have a, you know, a two first-round picks in a row they spent on receiving weapons, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and yet they barely throw the football and appear uninterested in doing so. I, I don't know why. Why? Why not spread it out a little bit? Um, Arthur Smith, the coach in Atlanta, is kind of stuck in his ways and kind of... Um, I think stubborn and I think it's hurting him. So I don't know. Keep your eye on Atlanta. I, I'm just not impressed by the, the job done down there by him coaching, uh, coaching wise with the offense and uh, keep your eye on that. But that's my big takeaway from this episode really is that Atlanta's offense is eh, not that impressive guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day and uh, bum bam. We are 